0: Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, where we're going to continue our study this morning in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke 5, verse 12 through 16. We sing the hymn very often, come ye sinners, poor and needy, as the song goes on, bruised and broken by the fall. And we declare in that hymn that Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pardoning, love, and power. That invitation to sinners to come to Jesus for the salvation He gives stands at the heart of the Christian message because Jesus is able to cleanse you from every sin and defilement. And Jesus is willing to cleanse you from every sin and defilement. Therefore, we invite one another and we invite others to come to Christ for His cleansing power. In the passage before us this morning in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, we're going to see a vivid example of Jesus' cleansing power as he cleanses a leper. But as we see this picture of cleansing power in a powerful and practical way in the life of this one man, we're also going to see that this picture was meant to point us to a deeper reality about Jesus' ability to cleanse us from all of our sin. And so if you found your place with me, would you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 12, and I'll read to verse 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we pray as well, asking that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things, glorious truths in your word, that you would give our minds understanding, that we might be able to understand what it is that you would teach us in this passage before us, we might apply it to our lives in a right way, a way that is consistent with your word. These things we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we look at Luke, I want to set some context by talking a bit about the restoration of lepers in Israel under Moses. Here I'm informed by the text of Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, as well as a very helpful commentary by Peter Lee. I want to simply begin by asking questions and answering them to help you understand what's going on in the text before us. The first one is simple. What is leprosy? What is leprosy? Leprosy was and is a wasting skin disease that causes a person to break out with serious uh, a serious skin condition, boils and sores all over their body, and that those boils and sores would make the leper to uh, uh, make his skin raw. It would be a debilitating disease. It would be a humiliating disease. It would be uh, a a very physically um, painful disease. It would affect the muscles as well. We don't see it very often in our day. And the leprosy we do see in rare cases today may not be precisely what the people of Israel faced back then. But we can see from Leviticus 13 and 14 that it was clearly a condition of the skin that destroyed the skin. But it was something else in the context of Israel under Moses... It was something that we call, that the Bible calls, uncleanness. What is uncleanness? Well, you think of uncleanness in your present context in terms of dirt. You go out and you work in the garden and your hands are dirty. They are not clean. But that's not what the Bible means, particularly in the law, when it describes the status of cleanness and uncleanness. We have to understand this in a ritual sense. A person was ritually clean or unclean before God. And the best way to understand this is in terms of fellowship. I can illustrate this by, uh, by, by uh, reminding you of those graphs that you might have used when you were in math class in school. You have a horizontal axis, axis and you have a vertical axis. And the horizontal axis here represents unclean and clean. Cleanness and uncleanness. And it's also representative of fellowship that the people of Israel would would enjoy with one another in their own communities. And so if you were unclean, the result was that you were now separated from your community. You could not be in the community of the people of Israel. In Moses' context in the wilderness, you had to go and live outside the camp. In the promised land after they had come in, you could not live in your home with your family. You could not openly live with other people in the city. You have to go to a special place designated for you to dwell. You were a person who was set apart, who was alone and apart from the Lord. You were unclean. And you needed to become clean in order to come into that fellowship, that horizontal fellowship. But that was not the final goal in Israel. It was not the final end. The final end was to come into a vertical fellowship with the Lord, and there you had to move along a different axis, one that represents two other categories, the common and the holy. Recall these words from Leviticus, the Lord said to the people, you shall be holy as I am holy. He did not say you shall be clean as I am clean. He said you shall be holy as I am holy. But in the logic of the law, you had to move from uncleanness to cleanness, in order to move from cleanness as a, something common, or someone common, to holiness. And the means that God gave for people to come into that fellowship with Him was a system of sacrifices. We will return to thinking about those sacrifices in short order. But I want to dwell here on the effect of leprosy in this context A leper would experience physical pain, as I said, but he would also experience societal pain. He was set apart from his family and his community. And that would result in spiritual pain because one could not move on that vertical axis into fellowship with God unless he had moved on that horizontal axis into fellowship with the people of God. In that context, in ancient Israel, you had to be clean in order to become holy through the sacrificial system. And so lepers had this unique kind of uncleanness, a condition for which there was no known cure, whereby they were always separated from the worship of God, always separated from coming into His fellowship. And so that's the key takeaway here that I want you to see, that what Leviticus 13 lays out for us, if you see there, are instructions that inform the priest, how do I diagnose a leper? How do I determine if it's leprosy or just a condition? That's no big deal. How do I instruct the lepers? And where do I tell them to go? And what do I tell them to do? In Leviticus 13.45 and following, for instance, the instruction to lepers was that they were to wear tattered clothes and they were to let their hair hang loose. And they were to cover their upper lip as they went. And as they covered their lip, they were to shout, unclean, unclean. So everyone would know to keep their distance. Stay away from this unclean person. Don't go near him. He's not really able to be part of our community. Leviticus 14, however, gave a prescription for restoring that person into the community of God after he was cleansed of his leprosy. And that restoration involved sacrifices. Now let me briefly outline what the sacrifices are. Because there's not just one. And this will be important for us to understand what we see here in Luke. In Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, God gave the people of Israel five different kinds of sacrifices. There was a burnt offering and there was a grain offering. One of an animal and one of of, uh, plants. And those two together symbolized everything. And the burnt offering and the grain offering were representative of something devoted to God that was pleasing to him. An offering that went up to God as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then there was the sin offering and the guilt offering. And sin offerings and guilt offerings also included uh, different kinds of animals. Cattle, lambs, sometimes birds. And these offerings were about paying a debt and purifying from sin. The sin offering was designed to symbolize what was necessary to purify a person from his sin. The guilt offering was designed to represent the payment of the debt that we owe for our sin. And then there was a fifth offering called the peace offering, which was a picture of what is necessary to make peace between sinners and a holy God, to bring us peace with our Maker. And all of these five different sacrifices functioned together as a picture that was meant to instruct the people of Israel. And I say this because in Leviticus 14, the prescription for restoring a former leper to the people of Israel involved four of these sacrifices brought into combination together, carried out over the course of an eight-day period, where a person would come back into that fellowship by offering sacrifices that were pleasing to God and were also designed to atone for his sin. By paying the debt... And by cleansing him of his sin. This was the way that a former leper was restored to the people of Israel. But what Leviticus never does, what it never gives the priest, is a way to cure the disease. There's no passage in the law that says this is how you cleanse a leper. It was not given. The leprosy might have gone away on its own. Or perhaps God in his mercy might send a prophet like Elisha to cleanse a leper. But there was no way that a leper was given to come into the fellowship of his community, which was the necessary condition for him to come into that next stage of fellowship through sacrifice. He was completely at the mercy of God to heal him. That is a picture of leprosy and the restoration of lepers in Israel under Moses. As we come back to Luke, then, in the passage before us, what we see is a picture of the restoration of a leper under the regime of Moses, that is, and in the time of Christ. Now, the way in which this man is to be restored into fellowship with his people is the same, and we'll see why that is. But there is something different, something new. Because one has come who has the power to cleanse him. What Leviticus did not provide, God provided. in Sending his son with the power to make one who is unclean, clean. And this leper, at the outset, is an example of faith. For he comes to Jesus, and when he sees Jesus, he falls on his face, and he begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In that simple statement, he expresses a profound faith. He calls Jesus Lord. He recognizes that he is able to cleanse him if he is indeed willing. And here this language invites us to associate his leprosy with sin as a picture of what sin is in every one of us. How does the language do that? By echoing what we read a few weeks ago in Luke 5 verse 8. Hear this verse. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And here in verse 12, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Both men addressed Jesus as Lord. Both men fell at his, before him, fell to their face at his feet. Both men pleaded with him begging him to do something. And both men recognized their need. In the case of Peter, he recognized an internal need, an internal problem. He had a sin problem. In the case of the leper, his need was much more obvious. He recognized an external need. He was a leper separated from his people, and he desired to be cleansed, and so he came to the one who was able to cleanse him. He comes to Jesus then, and Jesus as we see, is able and he is willing. And this is shocking. It should shock us. It would have shocked the people who were there. Because what happens in verse 13 is that Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches him, saying, I will be clean. If we were there, you would hear the gasps, the audible gasps. He touched a leper. He touched a man who is unclean. We've learned from the law. That this makes a person unclean. But this is not how it works with Jesus. Jesus did not become unclean. But he made the leper clean. But with a word and a touch. Uncleanness did not come to Jesus. Cleanness went from Christ to this man. It's a beautiful picture of the difference that comes. Of the power that comes with Christ. The law could not bring this power. It gave no such power. God sent that power in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who is able and is willing to make men and women clean. Immediately, therefore, we see that the leprosy left Him. It wasn't over the course of time. It was an immediate healing. Right away it happened. But here, Jesus reveals that he wills something further. It is not only his will that this man should be clean of his leprosy. It's his will that he should be clean in every way and by becoming clean should be restored into fellowship with his maker. And so he commands him with these words, go and do not tell to anyone, he says, and then go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus' concern is not to start a movement whereby he'll have this great healing ministry. His concern is that men should have the most fundamental healing that they need, that people should be healed of the thing that most ails them, their sinful condition. And so he sends this man away with two charges— Don't tell anyone. Put aside all other things that you might like to do. Don't go to your home. Don't go to your family. Don't go to your neighbors. You may be happy. You may want to rejoice. But do this one thing. Go to the priests and offer the course of sacrifices that Moses commanded. And here I want to reflect then again on on Leviticus 14. And I describe the course of sacrifices that Moses did command. Imagine yourself as if you're in his place. If you're the leper and you're commanded to go to the priest, this is how it would unfold. You would come to the priest and you would show yourself to him and he would command you to go and gather some things. Two clean birds, a cedarwood plank of wood, some scarlet yarn, and some hyssop. And bring those back. He'd provide a bowl clay bowl, and it'd have water in it. And he'd have you kill one of the birds and drain its blood into that bowl. Blood and water mixed now. And then he would take over, and the rest would really be maybe something of a blur to you. But when it was all said and done, he would have sprinkled you seven times with blood from that sacrifice. And he would have sprinkled the blood in other places. And he would have taken one of those birds. He would have then released that bird into the wilderness, as a symbol of one who takes away your uncleanness. And then he would say, you are clean. But it's not done yet. Now, he'd charge you to go home to your house, but don't go in. Come to the door of your house. Stay there for seven days. Night and day, you'd sleep outside. First, before you did all that, you'd have to bathe, and you'd have to shave yourself, every bit of yourself, And you'd have to wash all your clothes. And then at the end of seven days, on the seventh day, you'd do all of that again. Shaving even your eyebrows. Washing your clothes again. And bathing. Then on the eighth day, you'd come back to the priest with the instructions to bring a lamb. Let's assume in this picture that you're poor. And so the instructions to those who are poor apply to you. You'd bring a lamb and you'd bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, if that's what you could afford. And one would be for a burnt offering and one would be for a grain offering. And one would be for the sin offering. You'd also bring some flour with you and some oil. A bit of oil and a log and a bit of oil mixed with the grain. You'd have the grain offering then. And the priest, of course, then he would take over much of what happens next. And a lot of it would be a blur. But when it was all said and done, you'd have a little bit of blood on your right ear and a little bit of blood on your right thumb. And on your big toe of your right foot, you'd have a little bit of blood. And the animals would have been sacrificed, and you'd smell the aroma of those sacrifices going up into the air. And you'd have some oil on your right ear as well, and some oil dripping down your head. All of these things the priest would do. And then he would say, now, you are clean. Now you are restored into fellowship with your people and with your maker. For your sins have been atoned for. Now all of that's a picture that the old covenant that was laid down in the law of Moses in the old covenant, all of that's a picture that Jesus wanted this leper to see so that he would see that his fundamental need at the end of the day was not to simply be free from his leprosy, but his fundamental need was greater, that he needed to be cleansed within, not just without, so that he might enter into fellowship with his maker. Of course, none of that. None of those sacrifices could actually accomplish that cleansing. But they were the necessary picture that God gave his people to instruct them. So that in the course of time, when Christ came to accomplish the final cleansing that he came to do, they would look at him on the cross. They would say, there is the one by his righteousness who is the burnt offering and the grain offering. One whose life is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. And there is the one who is the sin offering, who cleanses me of all my sin by his blood. And there is the one who is the guilt offering, who pays the debt I could not pay. And he is the peace offering as well, who makes peace by the blood of his cross. And they would understand why he came, that he came to accomplish our cleansing. He came to atone for our sins that we might be cleansed within, so that one day, forever, we might be clean without. If this leper had only come to Christ to receive that first cleansing, then he would not have received the cleansing in eternity forever. The Gospel of Mark tells us that this man did not understand, he didn't obey. Instead, he did exactly what Jesus told him not to do. He went out and spread the word. Luke doesn't draw our attention to that fact, but he did, does draw our, fact, our attention to the fact that this hampered Jesus' ministry. There in verse 15, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from their, of their infirmities. They came for that physical healing because they heard the news about what Jesus was able to do. And Jesus did heal them in his great compassion. But we see a tension in his will. He does desire to cleanse us of all that defiles us, physical and spiritual. But he also knows that we will be so easily led astray if we focus only on the physical. We will never see our spiritual need. And you can see that tension in his will in verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The crowds would come to him and crowd him and crush him. He would draw back and go to wilderness places. Places where he could not be found so that he might commune with his heavenly father because he had a mission. He always had his eyes set on the cross. He always had his mind set to do that which we most fundamentally need so that we might be cleansed of everything that defiles us. So this is a picture of the restoration of a leper in the time of Christ. There's still aspects of the law of Moses that apply in his life that are meant to instruct him. But something new is here because Christ has come with power to cleanse. What do we do with this then? How ought we to respond to this? Let me suggest that we ought to, as I said earlier, associate this man's leprosy with our sin, as a picture of what our sin is really like. And then we can talk about the restorations the restoration of lepers now, as so we talk about ourselves as spiritual lepers. There is warrant for this association, as I noted in this text. There is also warrant for this association in the Gospel of Mark in a text that we are looking at in Sunday school where Jesus says that the things that defile a person are not the things that go in, but the things that come out of his heart, the things that make him unclean, are all the sins that come out of his heart. And there is warrant for this association in the prophet Isaiah and in the sacrifice that was commanded in Leviticus 14. But in Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6, the prophet compares leprosy to sin, telling, declaring to God, really that he and his people, that their sins are like uncleanness and like filthy garments, like garments and rags that are associated with uncleanness in different ways. Their sin is like that, Isaiah says. And so it is with us. Our sin makes us unclean, even if we cannot see it on the outside. It makes us unclean before God and we need to be cleansed as well But we don't always see this. We don't always see our need. Just as this leper only saw his external need and did not really see his spiritual need. And just as we'll see in the coming weeks, the Pharisees did not see either a physical or a spiritual need. We sometimes, and very often, fail to see our need for Christ's cleansing power. The first way we fail is through self-righteousness, by becoming like the Pharisees. We think that we are not lepers. Now maybe if we never come to Christ by faith, trusting in Him for the forgiveness of our sins, then that could characterize us if we think that we don't need that. That's for the sinners, and I'm not one. It's like when someone says, when asked, what will you say when you die? And if you are asked... Why should you be let into heaven? Someone says, because I lived a good life. That kind of selfish, self-righteousness cannot save. That's a kind of self-righteousness that characterizes the one who does not know that inwardly he is a leper. He must repent. And he must see a sin. But more often in our context... We who have come to faith in Christ and have recognized our need of Christ's cleansing power, nevertheless, forget that this is a continuing need in our lives. We recognize that we were once forgiven, but we do not think of ourselves as continually needing to confess our sins and receive forgiveness for the sins which we commit. The Apostle John, in his first letter, would warn us against this, telling us that if anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. If he denies his sin, he makes God a liar. But the one who confesses his sin, he has fellowship with God and fellowship with us and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses him from all unrighteousness. We're called to be confessors of our sin, not to be self-righteous like Pharisees. And that requires us to look internally and examine ourselves and consider where we go astray. We all do. You and I included. Every one of us goes astray day by day. So we must make a practice in our lives of regularly confessing our sins. You don't need anyone to do this. You can go directly to God and confess your sins and know that you don't need a priest to go between you and God, for you have a great high priest who gave his life and who pleads the merits of his blood and who intercedes on your behalf as your advocate. You merely need to confess your sins to God. Make that a habit. And you can know that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you can be helped by confessing your sins to one another, as James teaches us when he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. In that context, James recognizes that sometimes it can be a great help to have a brother or sister in Christ whom we trust, whom we share our struggles with and our failings. And that is a good and worthy practice. And I'll give you some cautions on that. Men, if that person is not your spouse, then let it be a brother in Christ. Women, if that person is not your husband, then let it be a sister in Christ. Children, if that person is not your parents, let it be someone who your parents know and trust and have designated to be that person. But do not be afraid to bear those, to let others help you bear those burdens, to share those with those individuals that healing might come, not because they can grant you forgiveness, but because God has given us one another as a means by which He is pleased to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if you are one who hears those things from another, be gentle, be gracious, and do not be proud, lest you fall into the same kind of things or other things but be humble and gentle with the aim of restoring that person, with the aim of ensuring that person of Christ's ability and power to cleanse them and strengthen them and to encourage them in every way. Let us be an authentic people, a people who are honest about ourselves, with God, and with one another, by being confessors, so that we might not be like self-righteous people or like lepers who think that the next step doesn't matter. Otherwise, we're like a cleansed leper who has been restored and puts on his tattered clothes again and lets his hair hang loose again and covers his lip and goes about and says, Unclean, unclean. And everyone says, But you have been cleansed. Let us not be like that either. Here is what I mean practically in our lives. There is that kind of self-righteous Pharisee who needs to see that he is a spiritual leper. But there's also the person who knows that Christ has given his life to pay the debt of our sins and yet cannot quite bring himself to believe that his, his debt is really paid. Well, maybe that's good for others, but you don't know how wicked I am. We don't reason it out like this, but we tell ourselves this. Every time when we dredge up past sins which we've confessed and for which we've forgiven, and yet we bring them to our minds so that we might condemn ourselves, what we need to know and what we need to see is not just that we are sinners, but we need to be honest about something else. We need to be honest about Christ's cleansing power, that it is sufficient for every sin the Apostle Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. and That he was such as an example to others. And he did not just say that in terms of hyperbole. He really was the chief of sinners. And we sometimes scoff and say, oh, how can that be? He was a Pharisee. And that's exactly it. Because he came in resisting the Spirit and in persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ and his people, he came to the very footstep committing the unpardonable sin, rejecting the clear revelation of the Spirit, only then did God lavish His grace upon Paul and save him who didn't deserve it so that He might be an example to every one of us so that we might know that Christ is able and He is willing to cleanse us from every sin and defilement. And the most fundamental of them all is the sin of that stains our life and makes us unholy and unclean before a holy God. And yet, when Christ speaks to us, touches us as our great high priest, who is able to pronounce us clean, and who is able to pronounce our sins atoned for because of what He did, it is effectual. No sin of ours is so great that the uncleanness would flow back toward him only the cleanness and the righteousness comes to us by faith so when you are tempted to dredge up these past sins from history you must remember that your history is history but what you are now is not that by the grace of god because you have one whose blood can cleanse you and who is himself the propitiation the atoning sacrifice that you need so that you might be clean and you might be brought into fellowship with your Lord. And that's what Luke chapter 5 in this text shows us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are a merciful God. You are a great Savior who sent your Son to save your people that we might be redeemed from all of our sin, and we might be cleansed of everything that stains our lives. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We pray, O Lord, that you would continually sanctify us, that you would inspire us to embrace the means that you have given us by which we might be sanctified. We pray, O Lord, that you would work in us through your Spirit through the word in us and through the ministry that we have toward one another whereby we can build one another up and encourage one another in this faith that you've given us. And encourage one another in the assurance and knowledge that we are indeed saved not because of anything we've done but because of what Christ has done for us. May we be that kind of people, Lord. People who are marked by authenticity, by confession of sin, and by Assurance of your pardon, your grace, your power. These things we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.